Hello, everyone. It is the Ides of August, which means it's the one-year anniversary of the podcast, Trashpect Ratio. We're all here. It's me, uh, Jackson Tyler. It's Destiny Sturdivant. Hello. It's uh, Matthew Marco. You'd think for a long-running podcast, we'd figure our shit out by now. We have our shit figured out. What's gone wrong? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing has gone wrong. Hey, Matt. Yeah. Don't neg me. No, I'm gonna... <laughs> okay, and Kyle Turner. Hello, why didn't we plan something special for the one-year anniversary? We did. We picked a really excellent movie. That is, does <laughs> not count. <laughs> <laughs> what would you have liked to uh, do? Like, what would you want to do? I don't know, like, Fighting in the War Room does, like, their quarter quells where they have... Where everyone picks one thing and they all discuss what that movie means to them or some contextual question i don't know just something i don't know i didn't realize it was the one year anniversary and now i know i know it's uh but anyway how's everyone doing i feel bad now it's fine we're all fine it's good i feel bad on kyle's behalf (laughs) how are you doing kyle i feel bad (laughs) no (laughs) i'm trying to let's get some energy let's get cheered up is is life good? I mean, probably not. It never usually is. Uh-huh. Wow, um, wow, that is. Um, life is is pretty good. I saw Jinx Monsoon in concert because she's performing at in P Town, and it was. That oh, was that's a that's a person. Yes, I didn't know um, whether Jinx Monsoon was a movie, a band, or a solo artist. Drag queen. Didn't know. RuPaul's um, Drag Race. I'd have never seen RuPaul's Drag Race. Okay, that explains it's on. It's on. It's on UK Netflix. That's how I watched it. On the UK version of Netflix. Yes. Okay. Because uh, yep. it's not not on no, no. Netflix here. Fair enough. And, yeah. That, so that's about it. Was that good? Yeah. Oh, and I went to a John Waters party. Hell yeah! What does so, a John yeah. Waters party entail? Like he threw a party. Like, you went specifically to John Waters' party? Yes. Not a, a party themed around the idea that is John Waters? No, I went to a party that was thrown by John Waters. How, how... Details? Yeah, details. <clears throat> um, well, he and his boy toy throw a party in Provincetown every year, apparently. And I was lucky enough to get invited, because it was an invite-only thing. And my Ooh. friend... Ooh! My friend... Tail Bugby, who writes for the Daily Beast, amongst other places, came to visit me, and we both went, and it was a lot of fun. It was just like a dance party at a at the dive bar that I go to every week, and the music was fine, and we we danced, and it was fun. And John Waters at the end told us we were good dancers. Oh my god! Yeah, it was one of my cool. favorite filmmakers, and you didn't tell me this immediately. I thought I did. I thought I texted you. No, I never got a text message about this. I'm sorry, I feel bad. That's okay. Um, I'm just feeling all bad this this cat. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. I forgive you. I'm just really, really happy about that. I'm happy to hear that. I'm happy that you guys talked to John Waters. Um, what's he like? Is he short? Oh God, no. <laughs> Does he smell good? <laughs> yes, he smells good. He dresses very, very nicely. His boyfriend is really attractive. How much really younger attractive. than him is the boyfriend? He looked like 
late twenties to mid thirties. So I'm guessing ha- like a half life. Was he blonde? Um, dirty blonde, light brown hair, I guess. Um, very very short, like sort of shaved, but there's still hair there. Where, like John Waters' summer home? How is it? Where's the tank top? Um, uh, it wasn't at his home. I have not been to his home yet, but apparently well, he, he, he lives in Baltimore. I think he lives in Baltimore, but he has a summer home in Provincetown. Okay. So how was the party space decorated? Uh, it was not. It was just a place with the music. It was just it was just the bar and the music and cool. John Waters was there and a bunch of other cool people were there. It's cool. Yeah. Good times. Yeah, was Ming Stole there? I don't think so. Okay. I didn't see him. Not gonna do your research at the John Waters party. Not gonna make a list. No, I'm not because I put in the least amount of effort in everything I do. Hey, <laughs> same. I understand this is a philosophy. Mm-hmm. So it's a good way to live. What about anyone else? How's how's your month been? Is is this still a podcast about movies? Technically. Okay. Uh, John Waters is a filmmaker, so. Like still? Uh, well, yeah. You know what the the problem is that like his recent stuff hasn't been doing well financially, so now nobody will fund any of the stuff he wants to do. So he's kind of just been doing a lot of theater stuff and books and like and books and public speaking engagements. Like that book about him hitchhiking just came out. Uh, and he's just been doing a lot of other stuff because no one will let him release a movie. That's a shame. He might have to just distribute it himself somehow. Crowdfund, yo. John Waters on the Kickstarter. Well, I mean, his last movie was about a guy that would, uh, like, rig the Special Olympics. So. What? I think that was the last movie he did, was it? Or am I thinking. A Dirty Shame. Oh, yeah, Dirty Shame. Dirty Shame's last one? Yeah, it was a Dirty Shame. And I feel like that movie was like. Just people just didn't get it, and that was almost what ten years ago. It was two thousand and four, so eleven years ago. Yeah, he says that the film's poor box office reviews keep his future projects from being greenlit, but states that if someone provided the funding for his next film, he'd make a dirty shame tomorrow, uh, or his his next film tomorrow, I guess. But yeah, so he's struggling. It's not his fault, Matthew. Mm hmm. That's a shame. There should be more John Waters films in the world. You sound entirely disinterested, man. I've seen one John Waters movie, so, like, yeah, a little... I mean, in general, (laughs) like, cult of personality stuff doesn't interest me, so... Well, what does interest you, Matt? Actual films? (laughs) What What have you seen? What have you done? If we're gonna go down this road... I guess I can go first. Uh... Yeah, I, I being just, about this, else. just this morning got done watching the 1982 John Milius epic Conan the Barbarian again. Um, uh, what is good in life? Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, coherent Oliver Stone script, and the West's most earnest attempt at making a Shaw Brothers film that's ever been made. 
It's good. That's a good list of three. Wait, wait, what though is this? Conan the Barbarian. Conan the Barbarian, without like actually trying to homage it, is the most earnest like '60s kung fu movie the West has ever made. It has nothing to do with any of those things, but that's exactly where tonally and visually it ends up falling. Like it's mostly a silent movie in which characters that look very cool do ridiculous action, and in between there's bits of physical comedy, and then the movie ends when all the bad guys are dead. It's like the perfect one of those. I love that movie so much. That's really cool. I need, to, I need to watch it. Yeah, I need to watch it. Uh, I've heard... I didn't know it was that cool. I assumed it was just alright. All I like it a lot. Like, I think it's a... Like, it's incredibly stupid because the thing that it's adapting is incredibly stupid. But it's gorgeous. It's often very funny. And it is, like, one of the best examples of if you have the right actor and you make a good enough movie around them, like, they can just look superhuman in how, like, amazing the film paints them. Mm -hmm. Uh, I am always down for earnestly stupid Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. So sign me up for that. That, We did that one quickly. I know. Yeah, nice. Nicely done. Anyone else got what what you've seen? What movies you watched? I watched the same movie. (laughs) (laughs) What What did you think? I'm... I was expecting people to chime in if they'd seen the same one. <laughs> oh. Like it was um really goofy, and I must agree that it felt like watching a Shaw Brothers film, mm-hmm. uh, like a weird Euro version of that. I enjoyed it. Um, Arnold is probably at his best when he doesn't talk. <laughs> So, uh, people should utilize that more if he's going to act in his, uh, Twilight years. I would like, I would like to chime in that the exception of this is when he's doing comedy, because True Lies is a great movie. True Lies is a great movie. I've not seen True Lies, but I've I've seen, yeah, I've seen Kindergarten Cop and Last Action Hero, so. God, I think I saw Kindergarten Cop in the theater, but, you know, memory's a little rusty there. To be or Um, not to be, not to be. (laughs) <laughs> Last Action Hero is pretty good. Yeah, it is. I haven't seen it in years, but I remember thinking, like, as a kid, I remember citing it as one of my favorite films. I just don't remember it at all. That is the perfect one of favorite films for Kid Destiny. I have never <laughs> seen it. Oh, you should. It's really, really goofy. It's but, um, the most Shane Black movie ever made. I wish I, I had more to say about it. I, uh,. Shamefully fell asleep when we started it last night, and then we had to finish it this morning. And so, uh, but overall, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I kind of miss movies where they just end when they need to end. Like, it's not really, it's like, it's about all these, like, traumatic things happening to this character, and then he's on this quest for revenge. And <laughs> it's, like, really dumb how. One minute there's an action scene, the next minute there's a sex scene. And it's just <laughs> really Just really like silly. my life. Right, I wish. And so, like, <laughs> um, so by the time it ends, it's just sort of like, it, it just ends in the right moment, I guess you should say. Like Matt said, when all the bad guys are dead, and I feel like most movies would try to, like, have more character stuff, or, I don't know, show, like, his rise to being the king or whatever, but no, it just kind of... Shows what it needs to show, and then it's over. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of, like, 
recent genre movies that have ended like really uh like tersely but in a good way uh, and I know there have been a bunch, but my mind's blank of examples. Cause yeah, I... same here. Mm-hmm. All I can think of is like Transformers does I that. I mean, Mad like, Max terrible. does that. Mad Max does that, yes. Mad oh, Max. Oh, yes! Yeah. Fairy Road, yes. You're totally right. Good good job. Got it. Knocked it out of the park. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I saw Ant-Man because I haven't watched any movies this month except Ant-Man. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I know. Ant-Man was fine. I actually enjoyed it a lot. Uh, it's not like great or anything, but it's the closest thing to pre two thousand and eight superhero movies that Marvel have ever done. So I have a soft spot for it. I don't know what those are. Um, pre like the Sam Raimi Spider Man films. It's got a lot of Sam Raimi Spider Man in it in its tone. I remember nothing of those. They're Although good. I remember kind, I remember being like one of the very few people who liked Spider Man three in my young days. Spider-Man Three is pretty is okay. I don't hate it. It's like got a bunch of problems, but it's still fun. Yeah, and um, still like a weird '60s thing. Yeah, and like so, what Ant-Man did for me was maybe remind me like what superhero movies actually were because I realized that modern superhero movies haven't had any of that. That is to say, a like person having a superpower and doing something cool with it. Like <clears throat> the sequences of um, Paul Rudd discovering he could shrink and then grow. With the first time in a good while that since maybe Captain America, that, or like the a character has gone through the process of this discovery of power, uh, and it's become good this point. cool sense of visual expression uh, for cinema. Uh, and I feel like comic book movies have had less of that and more just, hey, look at look at this guy. You remember this guy? You know, I did th- this. You know, I did this really well. Big Hero Six. Big Hero Six did, yeah. Big Hero Six was packed with that. Uh because Big Hero Six is also great, but yeah, that's 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 my movie I've seen. I'm gonna watch more movies this month. I feel like I didn't go to the theater a lot. Like no. that was my one big sin this summer. Uh, the last movie I saw in the theater, what was it, Matt? I don't know. It was a long time ago. My car's air conditioning doesn't work, and it's hotter than shit out, and so we never want to drive to the theater. Basically, I it's feel like enough. the last movie we saw in the theater was Jurassic World. I probably I, was. I a hundred percent was. <laughs> um, I I go to theater rarely because the theater here um, sometimes gets things that I'm interested in seeing, but it takes a long time for them to come here. It actually just got the new Woody Allen film, which I saw, and I don't want to talk about it because it's not very good. It's, <laughs> Shock me. <laughs> well, I. Sorry about that. I have um, not goodwill exactly. I am just naive and I am, you know, compartmentalizing. And I usually have hope that some of his films will be interesting, at least, and this was not. So that was that. Um, But the film that I would like to talk about, may I talk about two if they're brief? Okay. So one is The Dreamers by Bernardo Bertolucci. I love which, that movie. Which I first saw when I was 12, I think. And it oh was very formative. Very, very, very formative. And I I initially was going to... I initially rented it when I was a 12-year-old for Eva Green as a young, uh, hitherto heterosexual male does. Um after having seen Casino Royale. And and it was a very formative experience, the scene where um, Louis Garrel 
loses the bet between he and his sister with the movie reference. And I think that was the moment that I knew that I was queer. So that was interesting. Revisiting that moment in my life. Mm -hmm. That just like smacked me in the face. There's that. And also at the time I just didn't get the film. Um, I was not at all aware. I, 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 well, I got, okay, I, maybe I was 12, but I used, but I would try to give myself the benefit of the doubt of trying to understand things. I did not understand the political context of the film. I understood kind of the eroticism of it, but not the political context. And what I, my, my takeaway from this watch was... so hard on 12-year-old you. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? Like, I didn't know anything about the French student protests, (laughs) theater closings, like, and I saw that movie when I was about 15 or 16. When I was 12, I didn't understand why McDonald's had certain items some weeks and certain items other weeks, so... (laughs) (laughs) But my takeaway from this was that um, Americans like to talk big about ideas and sometimes they don't do anything but the French who also talk big and are very bourgeois who can be very bourgeoisie do have the occasion of getting out on the streets and doing something about their politics um hashtag black lives matter anyone yes 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 and then the other film that I that I saw and that I really really liked actually was Mr. Holmes um I wanted to say that but I, I didn't it's <clears throat> which is about Sherlock Holmes in his old age. Tell me it's good. I've, tell me it's good. Tell me it's good. It it's didn't I say that? Didn't I preface? You said you really liked it, so yes, you did. Oh yeah, it's it's very very good. I was when I heard about the project, kind of in its infancy, I was hoping, oh, maybe it'll go on a really dark path, like very very uh, moribund. Uh, or something. And then I saw the trailer and it looked really stupid and sentimental. But what I liked about this was that it really was able to to merge those two tones and feelings and ideas, and and it was able to be sentimental without being saccharine. And what I like about Sherlock Holmes in general, the mythos, is that everything and nothing is canon. And this very much was playing with that idea. Um, and I liked how it was able to um, shed this idea that Sherlock Holmes is basically just a fancy automaton that is really good at solving puzzles. And there's some very interesting depth that is imbued in that character, some very potent melancholy in this film, and I really, really like that. And Although I think visually and formally it's kind of by the numbers, there are some very striking shots that are of Holmes in, in this in this solitude, which I think it plays a very big part in how he's kind of, uh, how they're kind of examining memory and trauma in this very lonely way. That's, so yes, Mr. Holmes was very, very good. I that's good. I will see that when it comes out on, um, like <clears throat> Blu-ray or something. Uh, and it also, it puts Benedict Cumberbatch's portrayal of Holmes to shame. But yeah, but it's not hard. Um, <laughs> when I think of old Sherlock Holmes, I, there's, I, I don't think any of you would have seen this, but there's a Mitchell and Webb sketch, uh, which is the last sketch they ever did for their show, of old Sherlock Holmes, and it's one of the most heartbreaking things. So, uh, where, like, Watson goes to see, like, old Alzheimer's suffering Sherlock Holmes who can't remember anything 
and it's just five minutes of the saddest sketch. And that's what I think of when I think of sad old Sherlock Holmes. So if it's just this, more this, of that. Um, yeah, this very much plays with that. If you want good Sherlock Holmes, uh, the Granada Television Sherlock yep. Holmes from yep. the... Yeah, with Jeremy Brett. Yeah, mid-80s to mid-90s is amazing. And yeah. it covers a lot of the major stories that you'd want covered. And actually, Jeremy Brett was, like, very ill by the end of that, so he definitely ends up playing, like, uh, Holmes in his declining years, almost by accident. Mm-hmm. Oh, Aww. Jeremy Brett was, like, obs- like obsessed with the character. Yeah. He became... He was like driven insane by playing that role. Yeah, and he's but he's really good at it. And as someone who really likes Sherlock Holmes, they're good. I like them a lot. Yeah, I need to watch more of them because I've seen some of them. They're really good. Uh, like I, I've watched all three seasons of Sherlock. Don't do that. Just pretend that the season one cliffhanger has a really good conclusion, and you'll love that show. Uh, that's what I did. Uh, might <laughs> I also recommend watching the Sherlock Holmes episodes of Next Generation, <laughs> which are actually pretty good. <laughs> I heard Elementary is very good. I've heard that as well. Uh, I'd like to watch it, but it's also a three-season-long police procedural show on NBC, on CBS, so I, I can't imagine actually finding the time to do all of that, because 24 episodes of police procedural sounds exhausting as a person who used to watch a lot of Law and Order. Mm. Law I used Order's to do that, good. too, before Look, I hit puberty. Not, not going to hate on Law and Order. It does a job. It's fine. Sometimes you need to go... To one guy who says, I don't know the guy you're looking for, but I know another guy. And then, ching, ching, you go there. It's good. It's great television for when you're 15 and incredibly bored and tired at night. It's perfect. Do we do do we have favorite Sherlock Holmes stories at all? For uh, those of whom that, that have read them. I've never read them, but I like uh, when they do it on Star Trek. I, um... <laughs> I'm partial to the Red-Headed League just in terms of ridiculousness of premise, that there would actually just be a club of red-headed folk. I, this is the most, it, to me, it's the most British possible thing. That they, <laughs> sounds intensely British to me. That a bunch of red-headed folk decide to band together, but also that's a scam based on the idea that British folk would, red-headed British folk would band together and have like a gentleman's <laughs> club. It's super dumb. But, what? What's yeah. the twist? Basically, this guy comes to them, he's like, redhead, he's like, I was joining the Redheaded League, and I got my shit stolen or something. And it turns out oh. that the League was like a front for some sort of illegal activity. Uh, uh, yeah, that's probably what we'd do. Mm-hmm. Jackson? Uh, I, ha- I read them when I was younger, because I had the book, but it was so much younger that I don't remember like the individual <laughs> stories there. Like I remember moments, but I don't know. I like Sherlock Holmes as a character a lot, though. Mm-hmm. Anytime Mycroft shows up, that's pretty good. Hell yeah, oh, yeah Mycroft is awesome. Anytime um, Mycroft and Sherlock home bitch and Watson just looks at them. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically <laughs> the perfect encapsulation of everything about Sherlock Holmes. Um, my favorite, I'm a little, I guess, basic for this, but my favorite is A Scandal in Bohemia, because I've always loved the idea. I've always loved the idea of Irene Adler. Just, I think she's a cool character. She and I honestly do like um, a scandal in Belgravia, that episode of Sherlock. No! Shut up. No. I think it's. Oh. Well, I, mean, I, I, debate... I haven't watched this, so. It's it's the one where Irene Adler is a lesbian who's secretly in love with Sherlock. She's not a lesbian. She is a lesbian dominatrix, as she has introduced, 
But the thing that like proves to be her comeuppance is the fact that uh, she- yes, I get it. It's problematic. Whatever. I think it's an interesting episode. The way that it visually articulates the way that those two, that both of their minds work. I mean, the visual stuff in Shadows interesting, but like the, as a resolution to one of the best <clears throat> cliffhangers in TV history, uh, recent TV history at least, uh, like it completely fizzles out after the first three seconds. Is my okay. actual legitimate criticism of it. Uh, well, I still like that episode. Fair and enough. Then my, and then I am my second favorite uh, story is the Greek professor. Mm-hmm. Hot Sherlock Holmes talk for everyone today. Good talk. <laughs> Nobody named Rachel McAdams. What, what, oh, what yeah. are our feelings about Guy Ritchie? No, let's not actually talk about this. It's stupid. <laughs> I'm trolling heard, the own the podcast there, to my own there detriment. Are a lot of- there are a lot of people who like Game of Shadows, apparently. I didn't see it because I thought the first one was like one of the most insufferable movies I've ever seen. The Game of Shadows isn't better. I've seen both of them, and Game of Shadows is like worse. I don't think it's. I don't think it's better or worse. Yeah, it's another one of those. And I like. Worse, well, I liked the first one. I liked Guy Ritchie's iteration of Sherlock Holmes. I uh, really didn't. Oh, I hate it so much. I don't think Guy Ritchie is that great a filmmaker from what I've seen, but I haven't seen the the early films that people actually like. What have you seen? Uh, late stuff. I've seen the Sherlock Holmes movies and one of his ter- like either Rock and Roller or Revolver. I can't remember which one. I really liked uh, Lock, Sock, and Two, two Smoking Barrels, yep. and I am so excited for the Man from Uncle. I'm just so ready for that because I, I think it's hilarious that they're rebooting that property. No That's one. That's a really that weird show. thing. I know. Hot off the heels of the seven years ago success of Get Smart, here comes the man from Uncle. I like Get, Get Smart. Uh, it looked funny. I didn't see it. It was I liked okay. The show. I didn't. I didn't. I dislike it. I thought its twist was like the most '90s TV movie version of twist possible. I, I don't know if it's like funnier or worse based on like what has happened to the Rock since that movie. I don't remember, but I know that a friend wrote that movie. Uh, I saw it in theaters, and I didn't hate it. I liked yeah. it good enough. It's, I liked I, it. I saw it in theaters. It was decent enough. I it's, had no, uh, it's no Johnny English. What is the Johnny yeah. English theme tune? If we had music in this podcast, it would be going in. Uh, <laughs> I, Johnny English. It's fine. Yeah. I've never seen it. Looney Tunes back in action is what we should be talking about. I've never seen that either, because it's just it's like amazing. a poor man's space jam. No, no, it's amazing. Okay, I've watched I be- it recently, and it's kind of amazing. I, I had, I was very skeptical because, like, a, a friend of mine who, who lives in New York had the poster in, in his apartment, and I was like, "Why do you have that there?" And I was all like contemptible and whatnot. And then he said, "It's amazing." So I rewatched it. And it's, it's great. It's, it's great. a better movie than Space Jam, but I don't think. So it's weird in that I don't think Warner Brothers, after like maybe the mid '50s, understood anything about why Looney Tunes was good. I don't think you'll get like much disagreement with that. And like the only thing that ever came around that did was like Tiny Tunes, but then they got rid of that. So mm-hmm. I don't. Know. I had that video game. Oh, what? I loved that game. <laughs> um, I have never seen Space Jam. Uh, check out my Tumblr, poormanspacejams.tumblr.com. It's it's like a bad movie, like up and down objectively, but it I don't know. It's fun in that I saw it when I was eleven. I right. guess. 
It captured you... hearts and minds. It probably doesn't hold up, but I don't care. Maybe it changed cause... my life because I you... started playing basketball because of it. Aww. Do you like uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, Matt? Yeah, it's one of the best movies. Okay. I just want to make sure we're on the same page with that one. Yeah, no, no. That's Roger Rabbit's great. one of the best great. movies ever made. I, I need to watch that again, because I saw it when I was younger, but I barely remember it. Uh, and I don't know if I saw all of it. And I have That's... your... You sent me a DVD of it, Matt. Yeah, like, I did. Hey, I get like, over you should rewatch this. Uh, I, sh- I should. Movie, You're right. It, it's a constant in my life. Like, I probably watch it once a year, and it's great. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, Same. shall we move on to the main movie for today? The Johnny English song is still in my head, by the way. God damn it. <laughs> by Natalie Imbroglia. <laughs> what? The one by Natalie Imbroglia. What are you talking about? Jackson, King and Country, Safe and Sound, Bad Guys, Six Feet Underground. Oh, <laughs> uh, shit, what's the next line? I, I don't actually know the rest. King and Country, Safe and Sound, Villains, Six Feet Underground, Something Something, Man for All Seasons. Yeah. <laughs> uh... So the movie this week, month, every time, movie this month is Sympathy for Lady Vengeance. I picked it, so I'm just going to go straight into the intro. Uh, the third film in Park Chan-wook's Vengeance trilogy. Uh, it is the story of a woman who was wrongfully imprisoned and seeks revenge on the person who committed the crime she was convicted for. And that's the barest summary of it, I can imagine. It's actually this beautiful heartbreaking look into the impossibility of satisfaction for anything ever uh it's really good i, I fundamentally disagree that that's the theme of that movie i mean i did see it nine hours ago so i this is a very instant reaction i didn't i don't i don't read it as nihilistic uh impossibility is wrong but i did read it about like difficulty of like finding catharsis i feel so I suppose it should run down the plot. Yeah, this, I, I this, this, this is, we're going into the later discussion. We should back off this and then come okay. back to it later. So the movie opens with uh, Lee Gyum Jha getting out of prison and uh, she went to jail for kidnapping and murdering a young schoolboy. And it's like f- 15 years later, 13, something like that. It's uh, she, 15, I think. She comes out of jail and she gets a job in a bakery and she contacts all her old prison buddies as they do flashbacks to her in prison where she was like this angelic prisoner, but would also like help people like they would shoot murder people if they were treating people unkindly. And she begins this quest to get to the guy who actually framed her for the murder of that child that put her in prison, mm-hmm. um, who was a teacher that she went to and she was a teenager herself. And, uh, he, she kidnaps him and intends to uh, kill him, and that goes awry. Kind it of. does. Oh boy, does it? I mean, it doesn't. No, but it does. Oh, so, but I mean, for her, it does. Yeah. So, to me, this is a movie like unlike most revenge film, like contemplative revenge films, that actually illustrates a road to which vengeance can be a pure good thing that people need to have for themselves. Because the thing that she does is where she gets bake and then, uh, finds out that he's murdered like a bunch of other children and kind of basically lucks into him being a serial killer and then finds the parents of all the kids that she's killed and basically gives up her own vengeance to give these parents a chance to confront this guy and find this catharsis. And she gets what she wants and but in doing so she finds a way through like grace in the achievement of something that other people needed more than her 
like her vengeance ends up being a really selfless act. And I think there's like a real beauty to that. And I'd like, say, that's why the sorry. ending is the way that it is. And she achieves the thing she set Like the movie ends with her doing the thing that the people wanted her to do when she first started the film, basically. I would argue that your perspective and Jackson's perspective can coexist. Sure. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I think so. I don't like entirely disagree. I may, I disagree with the emphasis, but I don't think that as like contradictory perspectives as it first sounded. Uh, let's go around to Kyle and Destiny to say what they thought first. Um, I always go back and forth between Lady Vengeance and Old Boy as being my favorites of the Vengeance trilogy, and I usually land on Lady Vengeance because um, there is a textural sensitivity in that film that isn't in the rest of the the trilogy um, that I think is. The, the version I tend to watch is the fade to white version where um, he chose to desaturate um, scene by scene so that by the end of the film it's in completely black and white. And I think he explained in like the introduction of that version that he chose to do that to illustrate the fact that there isn't a black and white when it comes to vengeance and that it is very much an, an ambivalent thing. And that ambivalence shows in every action that um, Gumja, I think is her name. Yeah. Um, every action she takes is, is with a little bit of hesitance. She wants to be, she, she there's this determination that's, that's, uh, that, that she performs, but um, in reality, there seems to be a, a little bit more reticence. And I think that very much ties into Jackson's, um, position with regard to how difficult catharsis can be, especially in, in such matters as this. So I also think of it as kind of like murder on the Orient express. Spoiler. <laughs> uh, Destiny. Um, this is one of my favorite movies. Hell yeah. I think, yeah. It's like the deliberateness of her character, how she like, gets in there as this like super like she's really young and she cries the whole time and then like she slowly hardens to the point where she has this soul determination and she starts to like uh you know reject that viewpoint that she was so angelic before uh because now she can finally drop all that because she doesn't have to utilize it to her advantage because now it's all about getting this guy back so she like changes her whole look and her whole attitude and when she contacts her old friends they all say like oh you used to be so sweet you like completely changed and you're so different now your hair's different and your makeup's different and she's like i don't want to look kind-hearted um and like that's the stuff that i love i love that hardening process that takes place and then the fact that like she still has this streak in her where she like needs to be forgiven for things even if she didn't uh she wasn't the one that like actually murdered the kid but she knows that like she did play a part in his death so like that haunts her throughout the film and the scene where she goes to his parents and cuts off her finger Ugh. because she wants them to apologize like or she wants them to accept her apology and so she's like begging for their forgiveness and she cuts off her own finger to like sort uh. of uh it's almost like, like she just, she, she, like that wasn't enough for her. And then when she finds out that all of these kids have died, 
I feel like she sees that as the way to like fully get them to forgive her. Uh, because she feels like if she hadn't gone to prison, those kids would have lived. And, um, yeah, I don't know that like that twist makes that movie so much more important than old boy to me. The fact that it, it can't be this thing you do alone and that like everything you do affects somebody else, even if it, it if it doesn't occur to you right away. And, and then also just the, the implied sisterhood of these prisoners, like all that stuff is really interesting. The stuff with, I think Matt was the one that pointed out like this movie, I forget how much of this movie is about how the justice system works over there. And what did you say, Matt? Do you remember? So I did some research on this, the depiction of like the reenactment of crimes is the thing that goes on in South Korea to this day, normally only with like really big crimes. And the justification is that the police seeing someone reenact their crimes allows them, like, it lets people, it proves to them, like, if the person was actually guilty or not, supposedly, because they'll have information that only the killer would know or whatever, and helps them learn techniques. But it's also this weird media circus that, like, activists in South Korea talk about, like, this fuels, like... For big cases, the police will publish the names of people before they're even charged with a crime if they're a suspect. And it feels like this place, like this culture where like you can be shamed for crimes that you're just like a suspect in. And like it creates this environment where the media like trusts the police to go through this and it builds like trust in the investigative procedure through media circus alone and not actual investigation. Um, I feel like. Korean movies from this era often have a thread of uh, like really profound police distrust. Uh, this movie, I'd also uh, cite Mother as one of those, which is a movie mm-hmm. about yeah. how the police are inherently incapable of dealing with the humanity of criminals, like crimes and uh, murders. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize during the film that like that was like I didn't know if that was real or if that was just a heightened thing for the reality of this movie. Because uh, the first half especially has a lot of like heightened reality. No, it's real. Yeah, uh, I didn't any- know it was real until this viewing. Has anyone seen the show Black Mirror? Yes. No. No. Okay. Um, wait, who said yes? Jackson? Yep. Okay. Um, then that that particular scene reminds me of the episode White Bear. Yes, it does. I would agree. It's similar to that. Uh... Uh, I don't think I should elaborate. White Bear is, like, more pointed in its, like, takedown of the audience as primary, like, instigators of the, like, badness. It exists as a condemnation of its own audience. Whereas I think that this scene is far more uh, implying that the police are just bad. And bad, like, unable to do their jobs. Though I I didn't... I, I actually liked the relationship between... Uh, her and the detective so like a broader genre like this is true in 
Japanese uh, media too. I think it might just be like an Asian cultures thing and that the police yeah. are depicted one of two ways. The guys on the street are always bumbling idiots who can't get anything done. And the detectives are always super competent, grizzled middle-aged guys, but they're constantly like too pressured to like solve everything. So they're always like downtrodden by the world, which is where this guy falls. So are you an Adachi or you're a Dejima? Yeah, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand that joke. It's a video game joke. <laughs> Persona 4 reference. No. But, but um, yeah, I was going to say, uh, and then all the stuff with her kid, because this guy got her pregnant that framed her. And no, 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 it wasn't him. No, 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 that wasn't Oh, that. no, okay. I thought it was him. No, no, no she called him because, him. yeah, she called him because he, he was, like, the one person who said something nice to her. And she's like, oh, you thought I was cute. Let's, can I come live with you? This guy knocked me up. And she talks about how, like, he, she's like, oh, the father was just a kid. I'm not going to involve him. Oh, right, right, right. Sorry, I that completely slipped my mind. I don't know why I forgot that. That's really important. But, yeah, so she goes and lives with him. And then he frames her, and so it's like she trusted him, and she's got this kid that ends up being adopted off to Australia, who she hasn't even apologized to. And so she thinks, like, I don't know what she thinks. Like, I I don't know what seeing her, like... I don't know what that does for her. I guess it gives her a peace of mind that well, the she, kid is in a better place. She goes back for closure and like to absolve herself of guilt, but isn't prepared for like the consequences of what that will do to her child. Like, right, yes, when, exactly. When her child is like, well, I want to come with you now, and I'm going to like threaten to slit my throat if you don't do it, I am desperate. She's like, why are you desperate? Why are you making this worse? This is over. This is okay. Things are fine. And... Um, in going to like desperate measures in order to affirm her own need for... like. Uh, forgiveness or just acceptance of her own way of being she isn't prepared for that in other people until the second half she's got that parental oversight thing where it's like you're thinking of yourself and you or like you don't know you're thinking of yourself because you think you're thinking of like the right parental choice Mm -hmm. when really it's like you didn't even talk to her and i mean i know it's like complicated by the fact that they don't speak the same language uh and the movie plays with that really cleverly in my mm-hmm. opinion. Like, when he has to, uh, during the kidnapping, he's <laughs> translating a letter that Jenny has written to her mother uh, in English and, like, the stuff that she's saying versus the stuff that he's saying and how Jenny's hearing it. Like, I don't know. I thought that was all really well done. It was. And I think the note that um, Gomja writes to her daughter is very, very touching. It is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I uh, today watched in a triple bill um, Lady Vengeance uh, Old Boy and then Spike Lee's remake of Old Boy so I know all of that I think Lady Vengeance is better than Old Boy this is my takeaway from uh, today's watching I think have I've, you seen Mr. Vengeance? I, I wasn't able to get a copy of it unfortunately I it's need to not as good that. Yeah, it's not to... so long ago. Sorry. Uh, yeah, sorry. Um, Go on. Oh, I, I saw it back in, I think, ninth grade. And I remember it being very tonally different and very European, I guess. Um, Very, the, very European. The movie I would actually liken it to is like Chungking Express in terms of its kind of like lightheartedness about its subject matter. Mr. Vengeance? Really? Yeah. 
That's what I remember. I haven't seen it in, like, almost a decade myself. Isn't the twist, like, incest? No, that's old boy. Oh, whoops. I'm getting them mixed up, then. What's the... Never mind. Mr. Vengeance, he's got the colored hair. He wakes up in a bathtub, missing an organ. A soul. Okay, yeah, I really need to rewatch it, because I have not seen that probably in a decade. I I don't hate Spike Lee's old boy as much as everyone else seems. It's, well, I love Shelter Copley in it. I think he's amazing, but everything else isn't very good. I think it clears up some things that I was not sure of in um, the Korean adaptation. Like, like what? Like, towards the end, when they're trying to explain... Um, the different relationships between people and like why exactly he was taken, why exactly he had been kidnapped. Well, they completely I, changed the villain's motivation. Oh, I didn't realize that was a big change. Okay, never mind. Forget I said anything. Like, the entire twist is 100% different in that movie. Uh, never mind. I mean, it's a similar thing, but it's very, I, I think it's a big change. I don't know. All I remember is like, it contained all of what I dislike about Hollywood screenwriting. Like instead of the really terse and tonally interesting beginning of old boy, it has like a seven minute long sequence before he gets kidnapped or no, maybe 10 minutes just doing various things and having these people go to him. You're an alcoholic and a dick in various character establishing monologues that I like. And I I got this in in five seconds when he poured his alcohol into his coffee cup. Also, 40 minutes was cut from the film. I'm told this. I'd like to see the original cut because it's paced really strangely. All I remember is that boy taking uh, his belt off. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That did happen. Object permanence. (laughs) But Shadow Copley doing a Jupiter Ascending villain in the middle of Old Boy is... It's the best. I'm sad no one seems to like Shadow Copley because his brand of committing to just the most over-the-top camp in everything he does is the best, and I love it so much. <laughs> I like him. I liked him in District 9. He's great in District 9. He's ridiculous in Maleficent, uh, and I like him a lot in, in Elysium and Chappie. So. Oh, you liked Elysium and Chappie? Um, I like Elysium... I think Chappie is a disaster of a film that I enjoy to watch. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the final act of Chappie. I don't want to spoil it for Matt and Destiny, but you should you should watch Chappie, Matt. You should do it. It's on the list. I mean, someday I'll watch movies again, not anytime soon, but someday. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, Chappie. Yeah, but no. Um. Uh, specifically between the originals, between uh, Old Boy and Lady Vengeance, I think Old Boy is a less assured film. Um, it has nowhere near as much like depth to it, uh, even though it's, like, I can see why people would assume it to be more visceral in its twists, but I actually think the stuff with the parents in the classroom is more impactful than any moment of Old Boy. Old Boy, Old Boy is the grand tragedy. Like, it's Shakespeare all the way. Yeah, up. it's just, hey, mm-hmm. we made Oedipus. Yep. But, like, Lady Vengeance is just this... It's a very contemplative movie about, like, maybe finding the path to actual, like, uh, emotional closure through vengeance, which is something, like, a, a revenge movie rarely does. Yeah, it's... That scene, not just, not just the parents doing the murder, but that scene of them all, like, in the cake shop in afterwards yeah. is amazing. 
Like them singing happy birthday and not knowing, like feeling weird about it and then stopping and then everyone trying to comfort each other. It feels like a response to our criticisms of literally everything we watch saying, why wasn't this a genre thing, but more Star Trek? Yeah, pretty much. Like, what if instead of <laughs> instead of things being like actually they just ha- had a conversation about the intricacies and the nuances of it? Wouldn't that be better? And Lady Vengeance is like, yeah, that would be better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's like made for us. But that oh, being said, while I favor Lady Vengeance, I feel like we're like we're not giving Old Boy enough credit it's really good but i mean we're doing a podcast about lady vengeance so yes. it feels weird to keep bringing up old boy to be perfectly frank okay i'm sorry even though no i don't mean to like make you feel bad i just i mean i, I know just feel part bad of on this cast no <laughs> my my I, thing is i remember the movie internet in 2005 and 6 where all anyone online was talking about was how good old boy was for about two years right they still talk about it that way. No, I, I know. That, I, I wasn't on movie other than 2005, and I still feel like everyone was like, holy shit, old boy has the best twist in anything ever. And it was I, just the same twist as a Greek tragedy, tragedy millennia old. The person that got I don't me think that's a the, bad thing, Jackson. No, no, no. No, but, but like the way it is like talked about as this revolutionary must-see thing, when really all it is is just a classic like pop story device. Again, I don't think that's a bad I'm not, thing. I'm not saying it's a bad thing for the film, but for the way it is talked about, it is like, di- like the, I don't find the, the reaction. The outweighs yeah. the actual, like... Like, it's not to do uh, with feel bit... bad, it's to do with like, the way it's contextualized by movie internet, basically. The okay. film... Uh, I'm just going to talk about it. Oh, okay, so... <laughs> we'll, move, Chris... we'll get back to Lady Avengers 2 and have a complete... Uh, Lady Avengers soon and have a complete, like, moratorium on mentioning Old Boy. Uh, well, like, I was just gonna say, movie internet, uh, like, it was funny because I was on the movie internet, but I was also surrounded by movie people that liked both movies. Because the person that talked me into watching, uh, both of those movies, uh, it was the same person and they felt equally about both, and then I just ended up liking Lady Vengeance more. Um, but I had a question for you all because I felt really weird about the scene where, okay, she gets all the parents into the schoolroom, and she shows them the tapes. It- that the, the teacher... final tape? No, I just mean all the tape. He sh- she shows them every single tape this guy made of their kids. Yeah. And I always thought, like, I don't know, like, watching it now, I'm like, was it right for her to show them that? Because it, like, gets them into that mood set of, like, well, I want to kill this guy. Maybe they were okay with not wanting to kill this guy before. Maybe they were, but, like, I felt kind of weird about that. Not that I, like... I think with or without the tape, I'd probably want to kill the guy if something like that happened to my kid. But uh, I felt weird about her showing them those tapes. I think the movie explicitly makes it clear that that's not the right thing to do. I disagree. I think that's the only actual option that's genuine. Because it's got the shot with like all of them... All of them just ruined, and her like sure, but no, no. Like in in, in the foreground, there's her like with this look of knowing what she's done, standing in the foreground like just stoic, and all she has done with the people she's known in prison is come to them for what she needs, and like known exactly what to do to them to get the thing that she needs to get closer to the thing that she. I think that's a really cynical read. These people had a question mark because all these cases were like unsolved. Uh, like hers was the only one where someone actually went to jail. These are people who spent some, in many cases, decades having no answers and suddenly here's the answer. Like it reopens all the wounds and it's painful, but t- to go through that process, people need 
the actual evidence. But is that her job? It's to not. Give them that. In this situation, who's who other's job could it be? Like, it's her or nobody. Like, is it a painful, difficult, unkind thing to do? Yes, but I think those people needed that. I don't read her don't, as doing it for them. I read her I as absolutely I do. Thing. Like, I don't read her as doing it for them either. Even if it was something they needed, like, I don't think that's another person's decision to make. I feel like, I feel like the, the, the acts that she takes in inviting them all in and going through this thing is, like, one of the kindest, most selfless things a human being could ever do. But I feel like that's, like, completely contradicted by the scene of her and the hallucination of the kid that got murdered. Like when he after tells she, her... yeah, after she goes through all of this, brings us together, and has done all the stuff to get to this point she needs to get to, and he like puts the thing over her mouth before like he can forgive her or she can even like try to repent. Like it is this proof that after all this, after doing all these things, she still couldn't reach that. I point. don't, I don't read it that way at all. I read it I as do. like she was seeking some sort of moment in which the universe would tell her things are okay. But that can't be extrinsically derived. It has to come from within. So, like, her having this vision of him and, like, apologizing and this ghost saying it's okay is not the actual solution. The solution is for her to go on this journey and discover on her own, through her own processes, that things are okay. When she's standing there with her daughter and offers her the cake and, like, admonishes her to, like, be white and live free of, like, sin, and her daughter turns it around and offers a suggestion that she, even though she, her daughter knows that she murdered this man and all these things have happened, she could also choose that. Like, that's the moment where she realizes that the things she's done have brought her to a place where she can accept, like, a life, like, derived out of, like, a grace of, like, feeling okay and having forgiveness. I mean, like, the ending totally explains, like, she's forgiving herself, mm-hmm. but I just, I just feel like I don't know if I could call that selfless that she showed them those tapes. I don't know if I, I could. Th- I think just the because end- of, mm-hmm. Oh, well, you, no, you, go, I, you, you go. Well, just like I agree with what Matt says as far as like the ending works in that way, but I just don't I don't think that that was selfless. I really do think that that was more about her getting them to get on board with her plan. Oh, I really disagree. No, I feel like, like her the, okay, at the at, at the, the end thing. of all of it, like her in the bathroom, like wiping off the eye makeup that she used to like make herself feel severe. Like to me, it's like this suggestion that she found the way back to being a human being through this. And I'm not saying that she didn't. I'm saying that that specific scene was a selfish scene. That's all I'm saying because in the end, it worked out because they all got the catharsis they needed. But I don't know if that was right for her to show that to them. No, That's all the, I'm self- saying. I'm the selfless that- thing to me would have been if she had done the thing every other hero does in these narratives and achieved vengeance on her own. That's the selfless, the selfish thing. And like she could have gotten. A, I guess my thing is, I don't know if all of them would have been able to do that if they hadn't seen those t- tapes. Like. I, it just I, seemed mm-hmm. we- weird. Like it seemed manipulative to show them those tapes because if you had, like, if you were a person and you didn't, like, if somebody just told you, like, oh, well, he kidnapped and tortured your kid, like, you I were think, left with the choice. I think giving, but, like, seeing the tape makes it more real and it makes you, yeah, it like, does make. I think telling telling those people that he murdered their children without showing them the tapes would be like this unconscionable thing of what? here you have to like agree with what i've said or not here's the choice but i'm not going to give you the actual evidence because i think you aren't capable of making the decision on your own well, like, I guess, that's such, like asking that's this them, really awful like, thing 
But like giving them the option, because like I wouldn't want to see that tape. They came. My kid. They came when summoned. Like they've <laughs> already made the choice. She, I, I clearly think the film is just a bit more cynical than you do, because I agree that she, by the end of the film she gets to the point where she can forgive herself. But I think to me what the film was implying is that like all the actions that she took along the way were like more and more desperate attempts to try to find the external thing and none of them worked and only in the final second did she realize that was impossible i don't think she realized that was impossible halfway through the film and i think like showing showing the people the tapes like all of the stuff in the school was like the bringing the parents in to her own need i i disagree i think that's like a horrible read of this movie well, like, I, think, I think what it suggests philosophically actually... is like offensive to me, given what the movie I think is. Why? Well, because just... the movie is like this really like under like it is about the sympathy and this understanding of what it is to like have vengeance and how it can destroy people. But we've already seen all those movies. We know what that's like. Let's take it somewhere else. How do you find like an actual holistically okay way to achieve those goals? And that is to make it something that's selfless and to involve the people actually involved and to help cure other people's ills through your vengeance. Like, yes, yeah, she, she can't do that alone. She can't. Like, I completely agree there. And I, I do think that they, like, did what they needed to do because they all react that way. Like, nobody regrets what they've done. And that's really, really, really important. It just really bothered me because, like, if somebody had came to me I wouldn't want to see that tape even if I wanted to kill the guy. And that's the only thing. That's all I was going to say. Like, I, I don't, I'm not saying that it like, uh, cause in the end, Matt, I agree with your reading of the film. I just don't think that that, like that scene just creeps me out. That's all like pretty much what I was saying. But Kyle, what, what do you think? Cause you didn't say anything. I agree with destiny. That is, I, I have, for some reason I don't have as, as much investment in this particular debate um because i i lean towards uh, uh destiny and matt's reading of, of the film um i don't think i'm that different from destiny i didn't well, I, I wasn't finished okay yeah go on go on i and i think i think what matt implicitly uh brings up is that it's almost diametrically opposed philosophically to old boy where Old boy, and I think even Mr. Vengeance. Um, I'm sorry, even I'm breaking the moratorium. Um, you can. It's okay if you need it to prove your point. I mean, just a, my statement is that it's diverse composed to almost every piece of revenge, of revenge cinema. Yeah. I agree with. Yeah, I agree with that. Because, I agree with because, that. because so much of revenge fiction um, is about the uh, Im- impossibility of finding catharsis in revenge. And I, and though I initially was reading it sim- more similarly to Jackson, I think um, it's much more romantic than cynical. Um, and I, I, I would agree with Matt and Destiny's I, I didn't think it was cynical. And particularly... I just, I was gonna say, I didn't, I didn't think it was cynical until like Matt started saying this read was cynical. I thought it was actually this really hopeful movie. But I don't. Uh, mm-hmm. But you said don't, you said you were talking about the impossibility of finding catharsis. Yeah, but she gets to the point. It, she gets to the point where she can. But it's like about how like impossibility is the wrong word, but it, like how the, like harrowing a path it is to get there, and how like painful living with this trauma is because all the parents have their lives ruined by this massive event that happens to them. Like like they don't see their family anymore. They've lost all their 
uh, like jobs and all their relationships. And like these and people, she gets a job, and she <laughs> get you know what I mean. And I, I think she has a hard time with that for a bit. And and also, I read right. the first half right. of this film, um, very specifically to be about like crafting yourself in a specific way in order to like get things. Oh from yeah, people. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. I think it's very much, very much about the construction of a particular identity mm-hmm. and being able to form that identity in order to. Uh, to accomplish your goals. With regard to that tape, I agree with Destiny that I would have that personally I would have at least liked the option because like while I agree with Matt that because they are there they have already made up their decision in terms of what they're going to do with the teacher. But I personally would not need to see that video and so I don't necessarily think that is a selfish act to have shown them the video. I also don't think it's a selfless act. I, I think that that particular decision is is riddled with with ambivalence. Uh, it, it just bothers. Look, I don't know. Maybe it's just because like I have so many kids in my life that like like I just can't help but put them in the places of those kids. So it's like if I were given that choice, it would just be really hard to watch. And I don't know if I would have been okay with that person. Like. Like, who are you to put this on me? Like, let me make this decision based on my actual feelings and not you showing me something that you know will spring me into a specific action. It's, it feels manipulative. Um, yeah. Oh, and, um, oh, are we done with this subject or can I bring up the... Carry on. What, we can go wherever the conversation takes us. Oh, okay. Well, no, I was just going to say, like, if Matt had anything else to say or if Jackson... Anything else to say about it? Uh, about the subject? No, I've said my piece. Okay. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I feel like I'm just repeating stuff like I agree with you. Oh, well, yeah, the, the thing about it being cynical, mostly it's just because is she selfless or selfish? Like, that's, like, the, like I don't know if I'd call Jackson's read necessarily cynical. I, 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 don't, I said, I guess I'm cynical in, like, response to Matt's criticisms. I don't read this movie as, like, an actually cynical thing. I read it, uh, like, what I read is the sympathy part of the film is that it is, like, sympathy for how deep the, like, pain and need is to be free of this and how, like, tragically hard it is to reach that point and the, like, catharsis that finally happens when you do. Yeah, she gets there, like, and it's really beautiful. And they all kind of get there, like, as we were talking about that uh, the scene in the bakery when they're all eating cake and it starts to snow. Like, it's a really great scene because it's them being, like, cleansed of this sin they've committed because it was for, like, this very specific reason that cleansed them of all their, like, weird guilt and all their questions. Um, oh, and then I wanted to go back to, was it Kyle that mentioned, like, crafting oneself? Or was oh, it Jackson? It was me, because uh, I, I want to talk about the first half of this film as well, because I think... Yeah, because that's my favorite part of the movie, is yeah. her... Like throw, showing it through makeup and sexuality and like because in a lot and of the movies, gun, like, yeah, the gun. Like women have to do this like in life with, without you know uh, a revenge plot. Like there's a certain sort of and maybe most people to a degree, but I feel like it's a specifically like feminine thing because like we're traditionally judged on our looks. Well, I, I think and, the first half of the film before the like the things happen is like a complete look at like the construction of femininity. Yeah, like, just the idea of, like, makeup as a weapon and uh, goodness and badness being, like, a thing associated with uh, 
femininity. Like even what? the idea of what makes a good wife or what makes a good mother. Uh, like I like how all of that comes into play with this. I, I think the what you're bringing up this weaponized femininity could almost be um, compared to Gone Girl, which I haven't seen, and I keep. Like saying I'm, I'm, I want to see it because we can talk. About, I want to talk about it on this podcast specifically because I know everybody had different opinions, and I feel like I want to have opinions in that discussion. But I haven't seen the movie yet. I'm sorry. How do you think it can be compared to Gongo? Oh, because um, wait, I I don't can I? Don't, don't, I, I don't want any spoilers. It is also about the construction of a particular identity and subverting the connotations that are often prescribed to that identity. Okay, yeah, and that's what I hear about it, which is the other reason I really want to see it. Um, yeah, so definitely we need to we need to have that conversation because it's it's something that's always interested me just about like being a woman, just that idea of like how you have to present, how you think you have to present yourself versus how you want to present yourself. And then the ways you end up, uh, what's the word I want to use? Like complying with that expectation versus how you fight against it. And like, that's something I like think about a lot. And, uh, I found it like, especially insightful that like, you've got, um, I'm assuming a male wrote the script for this movie um, I don't actually know, but like, it just has a lot of these like insights that I feel like are really interesting coming from a male point of view about, uh, women and performativity. I know it was co-written. It was, okay. It was co-written by Park Chan-wook and the other writer was, uh, Jiang So Kyung and she is one. Okay. No wonder. Cause I was like, there's just something there that I don't think a guy would see unless he was woke. And obviously, like, yes, a woman had a hand in the script. Uh, not to say that dudes can't be enlightened. It just, I don't know, it was just, uh, like... It was on point in yeah, really specific like a re- ways. Yeah, revelatory thing, especially it was... seeing it so young. I saw it before I identified as a feminist. Like, uh, so it uh, was a really important film, I think, in my feminist awakening. And I think it's on point in a way that it is very experiential. Mm-hmm. No, it's true. But yeah, her, like, crafting that and having to use people and kind of, like, guiltlessly because of just specific reasons, because technically they owe her, you know? Like, because she killed the prisoner that was sexually uh blackmailing people and uh you know beating people up like she does things for people and and they are surprised when she like comes back but then they have no qualms with helping her and i always thought that was really great Mm -hmm. i i enjoyed it a lot it was good that that stuff is I, I feel oversh- has been in this cast overshadowed by the back half, but I think it's like crucial to the construction of this film. Yeah, the first half of this movie is just oh, it's my favorite thing. Just but... the like really colorful prison. Mm-hmm. And then just like the, the the weird teamwork that happens, and then the favors, how she's like 
coming to collect. And it's funny how some of them turn out. Like, it's really, really funny. Like, when she calls the baker, and he's just like, oh, her. <laughs> and there's a lot of, this is a really funny film for a movie that has such a dark, dark subject matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, I, I early on, I found one of the key moments in the film to be the one where she uh, shows up at the uh, lesbian inmate's house. Mm. And there was the oh, moment, that's right. And there's the moment where she's like, oh, you never loved me. This was all just a thing. So you could, like, achieve this singular thing. And she still helps her. But, like, it crucially for me framed a lot of the future interactions as, like the way she went into them was with her singular desire first. Because uh, that was the first big thing in the movie, and I, th- I thought that was like key in the way you're meant to see her as a character. But like you also kind of read her as somebody who never did that before, so it's kind of like she grew so oh, much. Oh, yeah, no, like that happened in prison. Because like seeing her as a teen, she just kind of seemed... I like... don't... I don't... Like, she's a character... The only time we're introduced to her before the murders is her basically, like, talking to the teacher saying, you thought I was cute, could I come live with you? I'm pregnant. Like, we don't get a sense of who she was because I don't, she's not, like, a person before the prison stuff happened, as well, they far as say the that, concerned. They say that she's unstable, but and they show her crying all the time, but then you realize it's because she's put in this, like, impossible situation of being a mm-hmm. pregnant teenager. Yeah, so, and like, then... Yeah. They talk about her being kind-hearted, but all of that is seen to be, like, a falsehood as well. Right, like, but, like... Her her constructing identity is not that she, like, needed to not be awful. It's that she had no personhood because she spent most of her life where she was aware of herself in prison. Well, I mean, I don't think I was saying that she was trying not to feel awful. I'm just saying that, yeah, I wasn't saying that she needed... Like, I don't think she was the kind of person that put herself first before prison. Hmm. That's what I was saying. Like, uh, that's the impression I got. Yeah, like, to, to me, oh, the thing that she did in prison and, like, was doing for most of the film was, like, the power of this singular need, which is this combination of vengeance and atonement in her. Like, before that, she's just a person going through whatever, we don't really see her. But once, like, she has that need, then she goes through prison with this desire and becomes both the like perfect image of kind passive femininity, but also the feared aggressive femininity and like combines both of those into one like Uber person. Like they call her, yeah, they call her kind hearted and a witch at the same time. Like it's really (laughs) Mm -hmm. great. Like she can't like, she's completely uh, shitting on the idea that you have to be one or the other because it's way more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I love that. Like, that is just one of my favorite themes in the film. Because you can't really call her good or bad. Mm-hmm. No. Even if you find her actions a certain way, like, I don't know. I just, I thought that was really cool. And I'm, I'm on her side for this entire thing. I feel like. Well, yeah, I, I, you can't help. I, like, I, I, mm-hmm. no, go on. Well, I said I feel like just because of the way the discussion's gone, I've come off as like negative on this thing. But no, I'm like completely on her side, and I love the movie and I love her journey. Uh, so well, I wouldn't say that you came across as negative at all. I don't, I don't really know. Okay. Getting that, but I, yeah, no, it's just uh, this movie's got so much going on. It's it's so much fun to like pick through like all the different themes and images. My favorite 
little bit in this movie is just that scene where she's in her chair and she's smoking and laughing. God, I love that scene. That's so good. I wish I could print that out and frame it on my wall. Like a gif of it? Yeah, exactly. That's that's the next step for technology, being able to do gifs. I want want that, and then I want the scene of Heath Ledger standing in front of the fireworks from Brokeback Mountain. That's almost certainly a gif. Well, I just mean like something I could print and put on my wall, though. Oh, printing in gift form, yeah, just like well, just Harry Potter that shit. Like project it, yeah, like just moving imagery, photography, where or like video frames where I could just have that. Just this already like, exists. Like an, yeah, video like, frames like, started. Like installation thing that's real. Didn't you have? But a bunch I can't of them? afford it. Like I can't. No, no, no. I know. No one can afford it, but it is a thing that's real because they were talking I, about I, it on a podcast I was listening to last week. Uh, I need that. I need those two specific <laughs> themes. Uh, excuse me, two specific scenes because I would just be the happiest person. I wouldn't need anything else. I wouldn't have to buy anything else for myself if I had those. <laughs> I don't think that's, that's what true. they always say. <laughs> no, I don't think it's true either. But it's it just it's nice to dream, isn't it? Well, I think we're coming to the end. We've talked a long time about Lady Vengeance. We all think the movie's great in and have like slightly different reads. I'll probably talk more with folks off the mic, but I don't know if there's any like concluding points people want to get into now before we have to disappear. Um, uh, to bring up the, I I, I want to go first to bring up the oft derided now old boy. To me, it was never this movie is clearly better than the other, even though that's true. It's that. In 2005 or six, everyone talked about one movie and nobody talked about the other. And that was the yes. thing that always bothered me. Yes. And uh, then, like, Kill Bill came out and, like, that was a movie that was heavily talked about. But nobody linked it to this one. Because mm-hmm. they, they're very similar themes. They're really similar. Because Kill Bill came out before. Yeah. But, like, they're very, very similar. But, like... Even, like, in the shadow of Kill Bill, like, I never saw those movies being compared or discussed, like, against, not against each other, but you know what I mean, like, in the same breath. I have never once seen Lady Vengeance brought up outside of it's the third film in the Lady, in the Vengeance. Right, exactly. Like, I never really saw any, like, the fact that this movie is virtually, like, forgotten in a lot of circles is very sad. And I like saw a video about Old Boy on goddamn screen, so <laughs> And not like like I said, Old Boy, good movie, holds up, but yep. like man, I wish that we were talking about a different movie in two thousand and five. Yeah, no, the stuff of that film is definitely like to do with the way it's perceived. I actually think it's a great, like, pop movie, but I don't oh, yeah. think it's anything like more than that. It's a great good looking it's a great looking movie. Like he uh Chenwick Park like, man, talk about visual mastermind. Yep. The shot at the end in Lady Vengeance of the bathroom mm-hmm. with the mirror. Fuck. Everything, like, I just, like, that movie's also got some of the best fashion. Oh, hey, by the way, going to the Korean um, media culture, how the fact that, like, her dress and her haircut become, like, really famous and people request it all the time. That was really funny to me, because that happens a lot. Mm-hmm. And nobody seems to question it. Like, they're just okay with this weird trend. Can I have the Rachel or the murderer, please? Yeah, it's really <laughs> odd. 
Look, if I could make my hair do a goomja, I would. I mean, oh, we, yeah. all, we all would. We all would. We all would. Is it that hard? You just need... I don't... Is it that hard? Um... You, I don't know. Matt, you just, just have hard. to dye your hair black, right? No, uh, th- it's, this, it's wavy in a particular way, and my hair will never be wavy. In. Yeah, this is giving her hair way too little credit. No, I'm not <laughs> saying it. Okay. Just for Matt to grow it, I think, is what Kyle meant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but no, I thought your ha- hair was already long. Yeah, but my hair is very straight. It's not wavy and voluptuous like hers. Well, we, we have a couple questions, so how we'll have to be a host and stop the hair. Uh, oh, thank God. Save us for ourselves. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I know I'm hosting. It's rare, but I'm doing it at this moment. Um, any final concluding thoughts, Kyle? Oh, this is an outstanding and, and very aff- affecting film. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, I, I've seen it like half a dozen times, so. Nice. Definitely one of my favorites. Yep. Uh, I loved it a lot. So that's, that's the talk. Good talk, everyone. <laughs> uh, we have a few questions from Dylan hey, Rich. Jackson? Yeah. If people wanted to send us questions, where would they, they do that? They can send them to trashbackedratio at gmail.com. Uh, or just at me on Twitter. Yeah. Or yeah. you could at any one of us on Twitter. Any of us on Twitter. I probably wouldn't answer you if you added me on Twitter about you, movies. Yeah, I, I say me because I'm like, I'm going to be checking my notifications during recording. I don't want to burden anyone else with that. No, uh, I, I actually would like it because like, I have to bring up the podcast. Okay, well, at me or at Destiny um, at Fridge Buzz now, or you could at Kyle at Tile Kerner, but don't at Matt because he doesn't care. And doesn't the podcast have a Twitter account? It does, at Trashback Ratio. But the I, questions this week... Uh, from Dylan Schneider, first film, the first question, uh, what is your favorite Korean film that doesn't have murder in it? <laughs> My favorite Korean film that doesn't have murder in it. I don't know if I've seen one. Me <laughs> I don't think I have. I'm almost certain I haven't, which made, made me uh, feel really bad. I would say Secret Sunshine by Lee Chung Dong. Mm-hmm. It's... Oh wait, no, there's murder in that. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> um, then, then poetry. No, wait. Is there murder in that? Murder, YM. I don't yes. remember if there's murder in poetry. Like, there's different kinds of murder. Like, I wouldn't call the good, the bad, and the weird like a murdery movie. But it's got people getting murdered in it. Then it counts. I know. But you think in the tone of the question, it's a good answer. So my actual statement is I think that it's interesting now that the wave has kind of passed what movies made it over from Korea to the United States or the West, I guess, in general, as part of that big movement. And it was always crime, horror, or some other genre that has elements of those in them and yeah. almost nothing else. I, associate- I have a movie that I don't think has murder in it that I ab. Absolutely love Curse My Saw, even though I haven't seen it since I rented it back in the day, <laughs> called Spring, Summer, Fall, Winter, and Spring. Isn't that Japanese? I, I'm i pretty sure it's Korean. Let me go I Googled it, it just to double check, because... Oh, no, you're right. It's totally... Well, yeah. Yeah, that's Korean. For some reason, it, I haven't seen that since it was new. I like that movie yeah, a lot, Same actually, here. Yes. It's beautiful. It's about this... Um, 
young boy who is orphaned and then he's raised by this Buddhist monk and uh it it might have a murder in it. I can't remember. <laughs> because I want to say the kid grows up and something happens and I don't remember if the thing that happens is a murder what or makes what. I think it was murder. He went to jail at some point, and I don't remember what he went to jail for, but that was really beautiful. And it, but it's not a crime film. I'll say that much. It's not a crime film. It's the best answer we have, damn it. <laughs> no, okay, so, no, Poetry by Lee Chang Dong is about this, this, um, older woman who is a grandmother, um, and she's caring for, uh, her 16 year old, um, grandson who's a terrible person. And as she is deteriorating with Alzheimer's, she starts taking poetry classes. And it's very emotionally overwhelming. That one in Secret Sunshine are just very draining experiences. But I will say poetry because of the two, it does not have murder. Not technically, at least. (laughs) Not technically. Um, Yeah, I I like to further Matt's point. I associate like Asian cinema in general with like artful genre films. And I know that's entirely because like one, there's a lot of them, but two, that's what makes it over, especially in like the early two thousands or the entirety of the two thousands. Like that's what was, that was what the the Asian films that came to like movie Twitter were, you know, back in 2001 when movie Twitter existed. (laughs) But no, yeah. Uh, he has another question, which is, what's your favorite film set in Tokyo? We can't go on for that long about this one, because he's got another one, which is, what's your favorite film about food? Which is probably a better question. So, oh. go ahead, Destiny. Oh, no, I have to think of, I have to think before I answer this. I just think it's a good question. Okay. I'm combining so, both of them. So. Mine is maybe the worst possible choice, but it's just when I grew up, mm-hmm. it is uh, Lost in Translation. Yeah, that movie is really important yeah. to me growing up. I don't know if... I, it's one of the greats. It goes on the list for me. Um, I'm trying to think of some... I have to look up a list because I don't know. Uh, does, like, Blade Runner count? No, that's Los no. Angeles. Um, there's so many movies that have great moments in Tokyo. Like, There's that bit in Kill Bill Volume 1. But are they? Do they want? Like, does he want a Japanese movie example? Does, I think he just wanted an example. He's he's good with giving dumb, ridiculous questions that are just know, cool that, prompts. Uh, yeah, as it's I don't, like, mean, I I don't mean dumb it, in a I don't mean dumb in a bad way. I mean like he's like, hey, what's a cool movie about this? Maybe it'll lead to a discussion. I actually really like Dylan's ability to just throw off questions. Okay. Yeah. Lesson translation. Um. Goodness. I feel like I should have a better answer than we'll, that. We'll come back to you if you have a better one. But, like, Lost Translation is a good one. I know that movie's super important to you. Like, it's not going to be on my list, but that's because I saw it way too late. Mm. Like, I saw that, like, two years ago uh, when the Lost in Translation, like, phase for that to hit me in my life had kind of passed. Um, what's, what's, uh, what's one of yours, Kyle? Um, my pick is Lost in Translation. The very end, when Bill Murray whispers something into Scarlett Johansson's ears. It's effective. It's effective. Like, we're all just uh, nerds for that movie, I guess. I don't know. I feel like I should have something better, you know? 
Plus, like, a lot of the movies that I like that are Japanese aren't necessarily set in Tokyo. Mm-hmm. Is Godzilla set in Tokyo, the original? Mm, not, I mean, not really. Okay. Now not, I'm like, I think things. Tokyo, like, happens in it, but not, it, like, not in a way that is appreciable. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. I'm trying to think. Yeah, of... that's the thing. Lesson translation, like, it wants you to appreciate Tokyo. It's like, look how beautiful it is. And, uh, that's probably why it's the first movie that pops into my head. Tokyo Drifter <laughs> is a good movie. God, but it's I not need really to about that. the city. Not really about the city, but it's a great movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I need to watch that. Uh, and his next question is movies about food. Well. This you one's easy for me. Woman. Then Kyle goes. Oh, dang it! You, you drink man woman. That was my pick. Yeah, I was going to say, that movie, I'm a what, vegan, what and movie? everything in that movie looks great. Ang Lee's Eat Drink Man Woman. Oh, I haven't seen that. Um, uh, it's beautiful and amazing in that, that opening sequence. So, I don't know if y'all are familiar with the IB program, International Baccalaureate. I am very familiar. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> So I didn't do it, but for, I'm familiar with it. Oh, well, lucky you. Um, we had to, I took Chinese um, in in high school, and for the exam, one of the exams was written. I just kind of like wrote my thing in English, even though I was supposed to write in Chinese, and I wrote like this three page analysis of the opening scene in Adrian Man Woman, and I still passed, <laughs> even though it was uh, not the prompt at all. That's pretty great. Wait, so you you passed a Chinese degree. A Chinese uh, um, exam by writing an English essay. About yes. It. Yes. Okay. About sure. a Chinese movie. And my se- my second answer is yeah. My second answer is um, Hannibal, the TV show. Good answer. <laughs> um, I feel like I should have another one. Let me give myself a minute to think while somebody else answers. So the thing I thought of first like ruined me because I couldn't think of anything else. But it's kind of a troll answer. Was Good Burger? <laughs> and I literally can't think of another movie. I assumed someone was going to say Ratatouille. I've I don't. I don't it. have a lot of fondness for Ratatouille. I think it's fine, but yeah, I don't either. But I was like, I, I, I guess I, I thought you had more fondness for Ratatouille than you did. I know you like it, but I didn't know how much you had. Nope. Um, I know I've seen film movies, uh, food movies, but I. Yeah. Those nachos in Death Proof is the actual answer here. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a, another movie that makes me, like, love cooking, like, as a thing as much as that. Nothing. As drink man, woman, but nothing has given me a passion for burritos like Too Fast, Too Furious. <laughs> <laughs> it, it makes me... Nothing, nothing makes me hungrier for nachos than that scene of Kurt Russell eating nachos in Death Proof. Like I said, we hungry. <laughs> like there's just like great food moments in movies. Mm-hmm. Has anyone but seen I... Babette's Feast? No. No, I, I haven't seen it. So. Eating <laughs> Raoul is a great movie about food. Oh hell yeah! Mm-hmm. I've seen no. episode one, two, <laughs> or episode two of uh, this year <laughs> podcast. Sorry. No problem. But no, those those are food movies. Those. Close enough. That's the best we could do to them, but thanks for your prompts. You should just send in more ridiculous prompts every time, because you're cool. Uh, There's a Time Out New York article called The Greatest, like, 50 Greatest Food Moments of All Time in Film. 
I need, uh, that, to, I need to that, I need to read that. It cites Marie Antoinette, which actually has a lot of Please send that to me. It's in it. There's oh, the yeah. steak and uh, the, all the cakes. Yep. The lobster boiling moment in Annie Hall. Yes. Yes. Uh that's a good one. Uh the gold rush roll dance. So this is actually I thought those were potatoes. I thought they were potatoes too, but they're rolls. Um so the reason I know this is because of the Chaplin movie with Robert Downey Jr. (laughs) That's really funny. (laughs) Which I saw like a decade before I saw any Charlie Chaplin film. (laughs) You know what I always think about, and it's really, really weird, is um the scene in the graduate where he takes Elaine out on the date and they go get burgers. And they eat them unnaturally fast. (laughs) I think about that scene a lot. Like, it weirds me out that they, like, take bites of the burgers and then, like, eat fries while they still have burger in their mouth. And I remember trying to do that as a kid because that's when you do goofy things like that. And, like, my mom getting, like, angry with me. Think fast! If we're getting into weird specific food scenes, then I'm par- I probably have to bring up the what counts as the food court discussion from More Rats. Oh, that's pretty fun. It's pretty good. Um. Oh. Oh. Um. Has anybody seen The Great Outdoors? No. No. From what? <laughs> the Great Outdoors with John Candy and Dan Aykroyd. It's an '80s movie. It's a really funny movie. <laughs> There's a scene where. They go to this restaurant and they have this challenge where if you eat huge steak, like you win money or your meal is free. That's what it is. And so John Candy like eats this huge, huge steak. And then at the end of the like at the end of the scene, like he gets home and like he pukes everywhere. It's really- Couldn't get to the meat dimension. Couldn't make it. No, it, I, it's. I am really- a. I am a big fan of the scene where everyone's eating really lousy hamburgers in Greece. Really? <laughs> yeah. These are good. These are good pulls. Uh, I'm hungry. Yeah, I know. We have one more question, which is just a prompt from Rich Contra... Con- hang on, how do I sp- say that? Rich... Cockner? Cockner. Yeah, I put the N before the C and the H. I was going to call him Concha. <laughs> oh, oh, fried monkey brains in Temple of Doom. Okay, I'm done. Sorry. Or monkey brains in Clue. <laughs> <laughs> Best dinner scenes. Um, That's the what, question. No, well, no. What's no. the actual prompt? No, it was, it oh. was, now you're not going to be able to answer. Unfortunately, he says, "Give me your Birdman thoughts." Not a question. I want them. I haven't seen Birdman. I'm sorry. It looks intriguing, and uh, every, one of my friends loved it passionately, and one of my friends hated it. I feel like everyone I know hates it, but I'm convinced I will really love it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Kyle, what, do you have any Birdman thoughts? I don't like it. Okay, me neither. I, s- <laughs> I saw it back in New York Film Festival, and I was like really ambivalent about it. And I, as as the momentum of its awards narrative grew, I started to hate it more and more because I have a really bad hipster gene in me, I guess. But like, I just find it incredibly average. Although I think the one shot gimmick does technically work within the context of that film because I think everyone in the film is so egomaniacal that they would imagine themselves so dramatically as going just from one event to the other without break um, I don't think it's often I don't think it's very interesting I 
especially because it's about like this this old white guy and I'm not interested in this old white guy's story about how he's trying to make a comeback because that just is boring to me now. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And another thing that bothers me is that it tries to it tries to earn the audience's goodwill through so much of it. And for a while, it kind of works. And then there's this speech that Emma Stone gives to her father, who's Michael Keaton. And the exchange that they have there completely undercuts and undermines the goodwill that they've been trying to seemingly foster. And then just becomes really cynical and its true ideological, I guess, perspective comes in. And it seems very self-aggrandizing in the way that it's trying to at once um, kind of condemn Hollywood for making nothing but trash and yet elevate itself to being great art, which I do not think it is. I think it is just kind of a variation of the same thing that it's supposedly critiquing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would agree. I think it's far too like... That's it. I don't like it. I, I feel like it's like far too cynical and broad to have anything resembling like an earnest like ideological point of view even. Like it's sarcastic when it needs to be sincere. It, it's like preachy when it needs to be like like investigative in in its themes, and it comes off as strangely tone deaf. And like I think, to be fair, I think it's going to be really badly served by its Oscar and everything. It's going to uh, be seen as a like overrated like movie that the Oscar people love because it was like about. Like it was the anxiety is about bad mo- like movies being bad made into a film, um, but the the film itself is like just kind of nah, just that noise. And if you like it, I guess that's fine. But I just I don't know. I didn't I didn't jive with it at all. Didn't really find it funny. And I didn't think it really had anything to say beyond things suck except me. So. Yeah, that's my Birdman thoughts. You got them, Rich. There they are. <laughs> Which means we are heading into the plug zone and signing off. Uh, yeah. But first, Destiny, what movie do we have next month? We're going to watch Alex Garland's film, Ex Machina. Oh, yeah, yeah. I picked it because it was either this or It Follows, because I feel like uh, I need to catch up on my, my movies. Alex Garland wrote a book I really liked as a teen called The Beach. He also wrote the scripts for 28 Days Later and uh, what's the other one he did that was really big? Brain Fart. Dread? 28 yeah. Weeks Later. Oh, <laughs> I didn't no. see that. I, I, don't think, I don't think he wrote that. I'm being... You're term. being enslaved. He did. No, he didn't. He did, Sunshine? He, didn't he do Sunshine? He... Did he wrote in? He's like, I didn't he realize in, he wrote Enslaved. No, he wrote oh, Enslaved, man. and he wrote Dread. Enslaved. He wrote Never Let Me Go, which is not a good movie, but not his fault. What? 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 Oh, whoa, that whoa, what? Really bad. It's beautiful, but like, it doesn't really say anything. I don't agree. It I is the most is like, enough. isn't it pretty to watch teens be sad about dying over and over again? Look, that's my life. No, I don't get yeah, a movie yeah, to go to. I'm, yeah. I'm with Matt on that. I was a teen sad about dying. I don't dying. agree at all. It I just don't okay. Agree at all. He was the executive producer on Twenty Eight Weeks Later. No, I just I felt like it was just it just it 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 wanted to be so many things, and then it just 
ultimately left me cold, but it is a gorgeous looking movie. Like if it's on, I'll stop and just stare at it because I think it's gorgeous. But can't I think get some of the gold is intentional. I I mean I I'm biased here because I don't think Kazuo Ishiguro is like a particularly great novelist either. So I've never read the book, so I can't really give you my opinions there. Some anyway, Alex Garland's cool. Go watch, go watch Dread, people. Dread's a good movie. I still haven't seen Dread. You should see Dread. I want to do a double feature with Judge Dread and Dread. That is a legitimately great double feature. I know. <laughs> I believe you. That's the best part about that. <laughs> uh, but you can find me at Twitter at HeadfulsOff, and I do a podcast with Matt about video games and Destiny. Matt and Destiny now, and we're going to update the website to actually reflect that soon. Now I've said it, it has to be real soon. Uh, <laughs> all three of us do a video game podcast called Abnormal Mapping at AbnormalMapping.com, and you can find my other work Jackson, at HeadfulsOff.com. If you steal my podcast for your plugs, I have nothing to plug. You have a podcast of your own that I'm not on to plug. It's our podcast. It's all of ours. Maybe the real victory with the podcast we've started along the way. <laughs> uh, I do Goof Zone with Destiny. It's cool. What about mental health? At Goof.Zone. Yes. Well, Goof.Zone. If you like Abnormal Mapping, check out our YouTube channel. <laughs> I put up good videos and Jackson does videos too. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you actually found a way to like continue the plug. You can uh, you can find me on Twitter at LitRock, where I will treat you kinder than Jackson's treated me. <laughs> I think I'm allowed to push back against your night and day healing of me consistently. No, you have to. Faces don't push back. Faces just overcome. I am written by the WWE writing staff. No, if that was the case, oh, I guess that's what you mean, that you're a terrible face, right? Okay, <laughs> okay yeah. Sorry, I was You were a... just son- John Cena-ing the shit. Yep, um, uh, I have a Twitter account, and its name is John Cena. Destiny, where can people find you? <laughs> At Bridgebows now, and on BattlingGirls.com. Yeah. Kyle. Do you still do books for crooks? Yeah, but, like, no one listens, I don't advertise it. Okay. Um, you, you can find me. You can find me. <laughs> that on could be your chance to advertise it. Books for Crooked. <laughs> well, I, I assume Books for Crooked is a recorded book club more than it is a published podcast, right? Yes, absolutely. That's, that's how you see it. Because I know yep. both Matt and I are very specific about right. how we like promote and like work on podcast craft. Wow, Yo. that is so interesting. You can find me on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I want to shake your hand, Kyle. If, if uh, you want to. Go ahead. <laughs> at, at Tyler Kerner, T Y L E K U R N E R, and you can find my writing because I write uh, at a bunch of I write about movies at places. TylerKerner.tumblr.com, and we will be soon starting Cinema Paradiso. Thank you very much for all of those that have contributed or helped me spread the word about Cinema Paradiso, which is my Yay. upcoming podcast about spreading. About uh, elevating the voices of the diversity, the device, the I don't know how to English, the diverse voices in film criticism. Matt, what were you going to say? If you'd like to apply for our now vacated fourth chair, you could head up Jackson <laughs> or me. I guess I have to vet people now because they're just going to be rude. Earlier, when I was planning the podcast and worried about there not being enough things to say, you were 100% not invested in the podcast, but now they're being rude to you. Apparently, you are now really invested. Yeah, that's <laughs> okay. how it works. Okay. 
If you haven't figured it out by now, uh, you no, need to I, go get a clue. I had, been, I had completely figured it out. Uh, take us away, Robbie Williams. Goodbye. Shadows protecting his fellows from sun up to the moon on his back. Sent the villains to Hades, a hit with the ladies, a stallion in the sack. You can't get your life back when right follows left jack. The more you see, the less you know. When others would leak in his service, his secret place, God would get your time to go. You're safe and sound with villains six feet underground And no one knows cause no one's found Any trace of a man for all seasons Loves him and leaves him alone So alone And you and I wouldn't have a clue Who's doing what, why, when and who Up the creek with no canoe Watch out for the man for all seasons Loves him and leaves him alone So alone But Sanford Saving Norfolk brides, commoners and landed gentry. His word is bond with a brunette or blind. Baby, it's so elementary. For the men living here, stop your life with one stare. See the film, you'll know how it goes. But this ain't no fiction, just check the